Our gospel lesson for today, Holy Trinity Sunday, comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only Son, Everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Folks, today I'm going to give you just a little bit of insight into pastors. And by pastors, I mean me and maybe a few of the other friends that I've talked to about this. There are certain passages of the scriptures that we find in the lectionary or sometimes certain days of the church year when we as pastors really don't want to preach that sermon. It could be for a couple of different reasons. Some of them is based on the stories themselves. Some of them happen every year. Some are a little bit more spaced out. One of them we actually had just a few weeks back about the second or third Sunday of the season of Easter and the story of Doubting Thomas. Now, that story comes up every single year. And folks, it gets a little bit tedious to try and come up with some good news about a guy who doubts that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's one that pops up every year. There's another one that comes up, and it actually, this one only happens once every three years. And it's the story known as the slaughter of the innocents. It's actually very early on in Matthew's gospel, and it's in response to the birth of Jesus when King Herod the Great, who is so threatened by the possibility of a new king, that he orders the death of a bunch of baby boys. That, folks, is a hard one to find any good news to preach in. And we don't like it. Now, also, in addition to some of those stories, there are certain days of the church year that are just kind of hard and we as pastors are kind of left scratching our heads like, what are we going to do with this? Today is one of those days. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the video, as you can perhaps see, because I'm wearing the white shirt, and you can see the white pyramids behind me. We know the season of Easter is done. It wrapped up here a couple of weeks ago. This day, 
Holy Trinity Sunday is one of those that we call a high holy day, and that's why the white colors come out. It's a, it's a special, special day. But we pastors kind of scratch our heads just a little bit because on this day, when the general theme of the worship service itself, the theme of the different scripture readings laid out in the lectionary, not just the gospel that we shared today here in the video, but, but all of the additional readings that are also assigned to this day, they all point us at different directions to begin to focus in on the Holy Trinity, one God in three persons. This is a theme that is admittedly difficult to work with. How do we even begin to put into words something, a story, whatever? How do we begin to explain this idea of one God that exists in three persons? Every single time we focus in, in my confirmation class with some of the younger kids, about the idea of, of the triune God, the Holy Trinity. Oftentimes, when we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, because if you're familiar with the Creed, you know, each of the three articles deals with a different member of the Trinity. But, but how do we begin to talk about that? How do we begin to explain this thing which seems to go so far beyond our understanding? My grade or my class that graduated, not graduated, excuse me, that, that, that completed confirmation about a year ago, they really zeroed in on this one and they had a lot of really good questions as they began to try and wrap their heads around this idea of one God in three persons. And those questions would kind of go like this, like, wait a minute, so, so we've got Jesus, right? Yeah, we've got Jesus. And Jesus is, 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 a, is a man, but he's also fully God, right? Yes, that's correct. Fully man, fully divine, fully man, fully God. Yes, you got it. But Jesus prays to God. Yes. So he, he, is he praying to himself? Good question. Yes and no. What? Well, he's praying to God the Father, who's also the creator. Oh, okay, so he's praying to his father. So is Jesus his own dad? Well, well yes and no. Okay. Okay, we think we're with you, but also when we talk about the baptism of Jesus, we hear about how the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. So we've got the Spirit of God, but that's God, right? Yes, yes, that's God. Descending on Jesus, yeah. So God takes the form of a dove and lands on himself. Well, yes and no. I mean, you see how this is confusing? It's confusing that we have this, this, this divine being God, who somehow made all of this by speaking it into existence, clear back there in the beginning. And this voice of God that somehow creates will later take on flesh and become human, what we call Jesus or who we call Jesus. So the divine voice of God or the, word, the spoken word of God, which is God, also becomes human. And so we've got Jesus and we've got God the creator. And then we hear about how the Spirit of God is flowing over the waters or floating over the waters or hovering over the waters. So the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit as we call it, was also present and is the same and yet different. We've got God the Father, who's the creator. We've got God the Son, who is Jesus, who, who is, is separate and yet the same. And then we've got the Holy Spirit, which is separate and yet the same. All these aspects of God, these expressions of God, if we want to think about it that way, that are all one God in three persons. And folks, as I look at this screen where I am being recorded, and I can almost see you on the other side of this, just kind of doing one of these where your eyes kind of squint, and maybe your head turns sideways, and you're like, huh? 
You're not alone in that. This is the sensibility, the, the mystery, the utter inability for us to begin to understand how it might be possible that we have one God that is expressed in three different ways that are all equally the same and yet equally different at the same time. And as I even say that out loud, folks, it sounds like I'm saying we've really got three gods, but they all work together. And that's not the case. But that's an insufficient way of thinking about it, isn't it? It is a mystery. And we cannot understand it even when we express it through our liturgy, through our music, through our preaching and our learning and our proclamation. And all of this points in this direction even when we fail to understand it. Now, as we think about that, these mysteries that we cannot wrap our heads around, we are in good company within our gospel lesson for today. Early on in John's gospel, Jesus is already active. He's already been performing signs or miracles, as we might know them. They're called signs in John's gospel. He's already teaching. He's already doing amazing things, and he's attracting a crowd. And we hear this person named Nicodemus, who I always lovingly call this story Nick at night because he comes at night. He shows up, and he makes an expression that's important. We know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from God. Nicodemus realizes, and he's not alone within this circle that he runs in of these religious leaders. They realize there's something special about Jesus. They may not understand what, and they're trying to understand what, but they know something is going on here. And so he comes in secret. He comes at night so that no one else will see him because, you know, heaven forbid, uh, someone will find out that he went and talked to Jesus. But he comes to Jesus, and they begin to talk. They begin to have this back-and-forth encounter. They're talking about these different things. And as they are doing so, Jesus reveals yet another mystery, and he says it in kind of a strange way. He says, basically, no one can understand these things unless they are born from above. And then Nicodemus responds. Well, he says, well, how can someone be born again? And whenever I first encountered this, I always thought, well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, born from above. And then Nicodemus says, born again. And, and he's wondering, like, what? And so we think, what's going on here? But the mystery is actually present in the original language. Here's the thing where translation kind of trips us up just a little bit. And perhaps Nicodemus's confusion is understandable because in the original language, it's the same word that means both above or again. So when Jesus says born from above, he might as well be saying born again. It's a subtle difference, and yet a very real difference, and yet the confusion is there. Now, Nicodemus presses just a little bit farther, and he doesn't quite get it. He asks the question, how can this be? Just like the confusion that perhaps we feel when we think about things of the divine nature that are so much bigger than we are, and we try and wrap our heads around one God and three persons, which is impossible to really understand. As we think about all of this, we're in good company. How can this be? Nicodemus asks the questions. And then in a, a, a statement that Jesus makes that actually makes me feel a little bit better as a pastor who doesn't really understand this stuff either, he says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this stuff? And then he goes on. And he talks about how it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that lies within us, that it's the presence of God that lies within us that makes it even possible to begin to have any sort of understanding of this. That faith, believing that which we are experiencing, is only possible through the power of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. 
Now, Nicodemus is a wonderful example because his story does not end here. Even though things kind of drop off at the end of this, this particular story today with him still scratching his head, Nicodemus pops up a couple more times throughout John's gospel. And we see this progression of things for him. Later on, the whole council is talking about Jesus, and Nicodemus actually pipes up and he defends him just a little bit. Not because he's, he's trying to give the impression that he's a follower of Jesus, but he's using more logic he's, in that particular instance. He sticks up for him just a little bit. And then at the end of the gospel, when Jesus dies on the cross, Nicodemus, along with another guy, are the ones who physically take him down off the cross and place him in the tomb. So we see his story is continuing, and it stands to reason that his story continued on after the end of the gospel as well. That even though he has this moment of extreme confusion, which perhaps we share in at any given time in our lives, his story doesn't end there. Our story doesn't end either, even when we experience those things that are confusing, those things that we cannot wrap our heads around, those moments that are just hard and we don't know what God is up to, we don't know what God is doing, we can't make heads or tails of it, we are not alone in it. This same idea, I think, is still on display when we consider all that Jesus talks about. The assurance that he gives that he has come into the world, God has taken on flesh and come into this world so that somehow the world can be reconciled. And we hear that in perhaps one of the most famous passages of the entire Bible, we hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Now eternal life, that's something we talk a lot about. And all too often, I think, Mentally, we fall in the trap of meaning, well, that means someday I'll go to heaven, I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, and I'm good for the long haul. Well, yes, we do believe that, but that's not all that Jesus is up to. Because that life of abundance that Jesus talks about so often is not just eternal life living in heaven forever. It's also a life of abundance lived right here right now. Jesus has made that possible. Well, here's the big, big question. What does that look like? What does that mean? And again, that's a mystery, but it seems to be that Jesus is somehow making it possible for us to live our life right now in harmony. Harmony with one another, harmony with God, harmony with this world that we are a part of, this world that God lovingly made through the spoken word which would become flesh, through the empowerment of the spirit which was hovering over it. God lovingly made this world. God lovingly made you as a part of it. And God desires this life of fulfillment right now. Now, folks, it goes without saying that sometimes that's easier to see than others. Sometimes we can easily put our finger on that and what that might look like, and what that might like feel like, and what that might be experienced in this moment. And in the next moment, when something gets thrown our direction that we can't make heads or tails of, it might become a whole lot harder. And in that instance, we need to look to one another. We need to be supported by the community which is made possible because we also bear the image of God that exists in community. If I teach you nothing else, let it be this. The Holy Trinity seems to be evidence that we have a God that exists in community. 
And when we bear the divine image, we also are made to exist in community as well. We may not be perfect. On this side of heaven, we probably never will be. But the promise is, despite any brokenness, despite any of the flaws, our existence begins from God's joy and delight. And that existence that starts from God culminates in the claim God has made upon us as beloved child. And that claim means none of this brokenness, none of the junk that we experience, none of the confusion or the doubts that we might feel because we can't fully grasp what it is that's bigger than we are. None of that will ultimately overcome the promise of the one who made us in the first place. You are a child of God. We express that all the time. That is the promise even in the moments when the matters of faith, when the matters of the scriptures, when the matters of the day and the things that we don't understand are too much for us. The promise of God remains. You are a beloved child. You are claimed. And that is the ultimate final word.